It's so good to be here. Uh, please just be full of grace with me today. When I get excited, I'm speaking about Jesus. I'm probably going to get excited. I might speak fast. Uh, but hopefully I will try and use American terms for that will help you understand what I'm saying and not South African terms. But I'm probably going to get it horribly wrong. So just uh, if you don't understand anything, we can chat afterwards. But uh, I want you to know that uh, we don't consider ourselves guests here. We don't consider ourselves coming just to bless this church. Is we love this church. We love uh, Mark and Kara and their family. Uh, and as we get to know many more of you, we love you guys. Uh, we pray about you often. We think about you. And uh, I don't come here just wanting to bless you. Uh, as Mark said, uh, I'm coming to point you towards Christ. Uh, we are to encourage and uh, part of that is uh, part of encouraging is to put courage inside of every single one of you to carry on pursuing God above everything else uh, it would, it, I would hate to uh, leave you and you think well that was a nice sermon it just sounded good but uh, if I hear in the coming days in the coming months in the coming year that you guys have pursued Christ above everything else more and more for Erie and for this greater region then I, I consider that job well done uh, like Mark said, um, I'm not getting paid yet, even though it feels like I am, because it will just get fed with food, and it's like offering, just offering uh, gifts to to someone. But uh, it's been good. We've loved every moment of it. Uh, you have an amazing, you have amazing leaders. I don't know if you guys know that. No? Yes? Okay. We'll see, see, you guys are convinced about that. But I, I truly say that is. Uh, you have amazing, amazing leaders in uh, this couple and in this eldership team. Uh, we've spent majority of our time with them while we've been here. And uh, I want you to know that, uh, that this, if I had to pick any church in this area, I'd come here. Not because they're nice and not because Mark looks so good, but uh, because it's evident that Jesus is here and Jesus is doing something with this church and the fact that they're amazing just tops it all off because you can be an amazing church, but if the leaders aren't good examples, if the leaders aren't nice people, it's very tough. I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, I've had to submit my life to some people in, uh, just in following some people who weren't the nicest people, but uh, when they are nice and when they're following Jesus, it does help. Uh, so I hope you appreciate them as much as I wish I could every single day, but I live thousands of kilometers away. So today I'm wanting to do two things. I'm wanting to, to help you know Jesus more and help you to understand what knowing Jesus means. I really just felt like when we're in worship that uh, there's three things that God wants to do today. Uh, he's wanting to set us free from doubts and insecurity in our Christianity. Often, I, I think South Africa is very similar to America in the sense that we, I've grown up a Christian. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't another religion. I wasn't, I wasn't born from some, another, you know, my parents didn't go, uh, didn't, they didn't go to a mosque or they didn't go somewhere else. So therefore I was a Christian. Uh, and I think America is very, very much the same. A nation that's founded on Christian principles. Our nation was founded on Christian principles. But there's been this, 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 this separation of traditional Christianity to authentic uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And uh, sometimes that where the doubt rises in is, is God actually out there? Does Jesus actually love me? And uh, I'm wanting to, I just feel like God's wanting to set us free. Uh, the next thing is, that just the picture I want to paint for you is this thing of, we see it in Scripture coming up over and over and over, is that because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the most liberating picture in the Bible for me, is it's easy to tell a slave what to do. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts. If you, if you do this, you'll get this. If you don't do this, this will be the result. But uh, God doesn't want us to have that mentality. He doesn't want us to have that picture. He wants us to have the picture of, because I'm your father, I've got this for you. Because I love you, this is what I have for you. Uh, and, and we're going to look at that. And then the next thing is, uh, I hope to answer the question of, of actually why do we want to become like Christ? What is the point of becoming like Christ? We find ourselves, yeah, let's be honest, you guys live in an amazing region of, of America. There is mountains, there is rivers, there, you could be mountain biking, you could be rock climbing, you could be doing so much more. Why do you find yourself in this building, listening to a South African from thousands of kilometers away, uh, talking about Jesus, uh, why are we out together? Uh, there is a significance about that And hopefully I can answer that So uh, before I carry on uh, I'm going to pray for myself Lord God Thank you for this privilege of being able to be here But I pray that you just will be with us That um, As I try and honor the word That you have put in my heart I pray that, that uh, Jesus you will offend people uh, So that will cause them to look to you Jesus That you will uh, You'll be magnified. You'll be lifted up. Holy Spirit, you are yet to point to Jesus. And I pray that you'll do that today. Uh, that we'll make much of Jesus. Amen. So, I do ask, please, um, I can come across a little bit strong. I don't, I'm not yet... I, like I said, I said all that stuff about love up front because I do love you and I do love Jesus, but uh, I'm passionate about Him and His kingdom. And if I do come across too strong, please go speak to Mark afterwards. I'm going on a plane tomorrow, so uh, I won't really be able to help you, but uh, Mark would love to walk a road with you and deal with any offense I might cause today. So uh, I'm not wanting to offend you, but I might just looking at, at something of what God's put on my heart. So often I presented those three sort of questions scenarios and uh, the title of my, my message is Christ likeness is I'm really trying to help us just unpack of what it means to be a Christian and how do we work that out uh, but often I want to throw this statement out because this is what gets in the way of becoming like Christ many of the t- many of the times and if we have to be honest with ourselves and look at our hearts that is true and it says this the thing that stops us from becoming like Christ often is we become selfish and self-centered because we don't, do not know who God is or who we are in Him. And the only way we change this is to know Him and surrender to His faithfulness and His authority. So I got a few nods. Let me just read that again. We become selfish and self, self-centered. Do you agree with that? Yes or no? Yes. I hope you agree with that because it's true. Uh, because we don't know who God is or who we are in Him. And the only way we can change that, the only way we can become more like Christ, the only way we can become Christians is to know Him and surrender to His faithfulness, faithfulness and His authority. 
I don't know if you've heard the statement. You might have heard it. Uh, Mark might have preached about it. But there's a statement that with many of the churches around the world that we uh, hold dear to ourselves. And it's this. To know Jesus and to make Him known. And uh, what does it truly mean to know Jesus? Uh, there's a, a, a Christian uh, uh, poet, uh, artist, and uh, his name's Propaganda. And he says this. Christians should be willing to risk their name, their reputation, for the sake of pursuing, with reckless abandonment, love. That is what Jesus did. If you want to define what a Christian should be, I don't know what picture you have, uh, but he defines it as this. Christians should be willing to risk their name, their reputation, for the sake of pursuing, with reckless abandonment, love. That is what Jesus did. Uh, and I don't know about you, I, I'm, yeah, I, I sometimes need to look up words in the dictionary to truly help me find the, uh, the meaning of them. And uh, recklessness is summed up like this in the dictionary, without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. And I love that definition of recklessness. Reckless, being reckless is often looked as a, a negative thing. But if you, look at, if you look at it in the context of, of becoming more like Christ, we must throw off every bit of abandonment or consequence of what we think to pursue Christ. And uh, for me, that's, that's, that is what I want to do in my life. And I'm hoping uh, something can stir up in our hearts that that's what we'll do. So for me, it starts with understanding who we are. For me, it does start with, um, with, with demystifying and, uh, and helping us understand who we are in Christ. And for me... The best scripture to describe this is uh, found in Luke 3 verse 22. And it's the story of Jesus being baptized. And uh, baptism is the picture of salvation. It's the outward demonstration of what takes place in our hearts. And uh, uh, that's why for me it's a great... It's a, it, we are, we are uh, almost commanded to be baptized once we are saved. So we can demonstrate to everyone that we are Christians. And I, I, I'm not going to do it, but uh, I can guarantee you probably if I had to ask us in this auditorium, who's a Christian? 90% of us would probably put up our hand. Uh, because of whatever reason, but um, there's this, there's a transaction that we see in Luke 3 verse 22 that, that, that God does with Jesus that is a demonstration of what takes place when we call ourselves Christians and how it should affect the way we live. Uh, and let's just read it. I, I've got it up there in the ESV, but it says it much better in the NIV. It says, uh, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I love how the NIV says that you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now that is, that is one of, if I honestly believe this, that is one of the biggest statements in the Bible. I know there are some other big statements, and uh, Jesus says some amazing things, but for me, as I look, if you, if you look at your Bible, uh, the very next aspect, or the very next story of this Bible, is that uh, Jesus being tempted. And then straight off this temptation, Jesus performs His first miracle. So there's something, there's a transaction that had to go on in Jesus' heart, that He set an example for us, if we want to be effective in working out our Christianity. And it's this. Uh, you can go to the next slide. It says, the first thing, you are my son. You are my son. I don't know if you have stopped and processed that statement in your heart. You are my son. You are my daughter. That, that statement right there speaks of identity. This is not, 
Jesus throwing out, or God throwing out a statement of, if you follow me, you will be, uh, you'll be something, or you'll be someone. This is a, a father reaching down and saying, you are my son. You won't become a follower of Christ. You won't become a Christian. You'll become my son. You'll become my daughter. My kids uh, uh, don't have to question whether they, my children, because they believe me and they trust in me. But I think identity is the one thing Satan wants to rob us of because then he just, we lose all focus. Can you imagine if it was every single morning when my kids wake up, they come to me and they say, who are you? And, I'm, and I whip out a, a, a birth certificate that says, because of this certificate, you're my son. And then I show him that his identity is because of this identification document and my identification document, we can verify the fact that you're my son. So now act like you're my son. No, he wakes up and he runs to you and he says, good morning, daddy. I love you, daddy. Here I am. There's a security, that understanding that we're not something out there when we give our hearts to the Lord. When we, when we turn to Jesus, it's not like we just become something, we become sons. And not just random sons, my son. The creator of the universe is leaning down from heaven. And as Jesus is baptized, he says, you are my son. And because of salvation through Jesus, we have that same thing available to us. I'm going to take the silence as just this like spiritual revelation that you're having that uh, you're trying to come to terms with. No. The next thing it goes on and it says, Whom I love. Now, I, uh, if there's any Greek people out there, uh, please apologize. But um, I, I get so angry with English language when we just have one lo- word to describe this. Because a love for Christ is lumped in with a love for the Broncos. So I'm a Patriot supporter, so I can say that. But we all have sins that we need to ask God for forgiveness. <laughs> but the same love that, that is described here for a love for Christ is the same thing that we used to say maybe for chocolate. Or maybe for, uh, even for my wife. The same word, in, in the Greek, there's many words that, des- that can describe love. And that's why I, I think we should have another word that's reserved for Christ. A love that we have for Christ, because this love is totally different to anything else. You see, often we're disappointed by this love because we're equating the love for Christ with the love that I have for the patriots. And when they lose, they let me down. But Christ will never let us down. Or maybe the love I have for a chocolate bar that once I'm finished eating it, I feel worse than I did when I started it. So now I'm disappointed at God because that's the same word to describe my relationship with Him. But it's totally different. You see, when we, hear this, when we see this phrase, whom I love, is it just, just describes affection. It just shows that the affection of the Creator of the universe has for every single one of us when we are in Christ. It goes on to say, you are my son. So God gives us identity. And then he gives Jesus. He gives us a love love for him before we do anything. This is not conditional of if we perform and if we do things, then we get God's love. No, it is there for us. Take hold of it. Now, I don't know about about, uh, America, but 
Every single time we go to a wedding, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is read out. And I think it's an amazing scripture, but for me it's one of the most misinterpreted scripture for me as I've looked at, at, at my walk with God. And uh, it's something that I hope one day we can have a re- revelation of it and we can redeem the scripture, not just from a feel-good, oh, this is such a nice description of love, to actually truly understanding of the love that we need to have that we get from Christ and we need to have. Uh, and I'm just going to read the beginning part. And it says this, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. Uh, sorry, I don't think I gave this to you, so it just happened at, in the front. If I speak in tongues of men and have uh, uh, men and of angels, but have no love, I'm a noisy gun or a clanning cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding of all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so to remove mountains, but I have no love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, uh, and if I deliver my body up to be burnt, but I have no love, I am nothing. I mean, I gain nothing. I love that first bit that it says there. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I have no love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. When I was, when I was reading about this, Paul describes this. He, he, he unpacks that. Um, the, the author that I, uh, I was reading, he unpacks that statement. And he says, Paul was treat, was was preaching to this uh, church in, in Corinth and he was describing something of what would happen in the streets is when you left the temple the streets were just lined with these little booths and little stalls that uh, they, they would display their God and it was almost like as you walk down the road you are hearing these clanging of cymbals and this banging of drums and you'd smell incense and you'd smell stuff burning and it'd almost be like your, your, your senses are being assaulted by the religious acts to try and dis- distract you from, uh, t- you know, from what you're trying to do and you're trying to just go buy some bananas at the market but uh, there's all these distractions and clanging of cymbals and banging of drums and Paul's saying, well, well done. If you're Christians, you're exactly the same. If you're Christians without the love of Christ, you're exactly the same. If you're Christians that aren't affected by the love that Christ has for us, and therefore how we live our lives, every good deed, everything you try to do, is just a clanging cymbal or a, or a banging drum. And I don't know about you, but uh, when I look at that, 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 that scripture, in Luke, whom I love, this love that God wants to give me, that that needs to impact me, that the affection of the Father needs to impact me so much that my life is different. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be offensive to everyone around me. And uh, in South Africa, if I ask a lot of people who aren't saved or don't go to church, why don't you go to church? And they'll say, they'll give me a list of excuses because of how Christians have lived their life. And the example that have been. Now yes, they need to get over their stuff and they need to put their faith in, 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 in Jesus and not in man. But there is a massive role we need to play in how we represent Christ. If we understand the love we have, therefore it says we can love like Christ loves us. Then uh, the next statement in Luke 3 verse 22 is this. With whom I'm well pleased. That just speaks of the approval. The approval of the father. The father is saying to his son, as, as sons and daughters of the most high God, God is saying to me, saying to you, saying to me, I am well pleased with you, my son, my daughter. Now this is before 
Jesus has performed any miracle. He hadn't turned, he hasn't, he hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't healed the, the sick. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't laid his life down for humanity. But God is saying, I am well pleased with you, my son. My daughter. Don't get caught up in trying to do good things. Don't get caught up in trying to work this out by yourself because you're not going to be able to. He's saying, I love you and I'm approved with you and who you are and everything. The, the way you present yourself right now is pleasing because you're not getting caught up with good works. You're getting caught up in who you are in me. And that's a, that's a significant thing because many of us get caught up in and, and like Hawk was saying, is because I tithe, therefore I should receive the blessing. And because I am, I, I, I help grannies across the road, I should be some sort of godliness. Or because I give them money or do this or do that. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not concerned with what you can do. I'm concerned with your heart. I want your heart. That's what it's about. A heart turned to Christ. A heart in Christ. So that should, and that understanding, that revelation of who we are in Christ, our identity as sons and daughters, that we have the affection of the Father in how He loves us, that it's, that it's, that He's pleased with us and who we are, that should, that should burn away, that should scatter any bit of doubt, any bit of fear of, uh, of who we are and, and, and what is on offer for Christianity. The, the picture I almost had, and I, I was like, God, please don't let this happen. But when I was busy worshiping, I was like, I feel like a salesman. I need to sell Christianity to you. And I was like, please don't let me be just like a, I don't know if you have them, but we go to the our shopping centers and there's like these, these guys who just do, you know, you can have this vacuum cleaner. But it's... There's, there's, there's more. There's an instructional DVD. And then there's more. There's this attachment that, that vacuums up on the roof. And then there's more. And I'm like, I don't want to be like that today. I just want to put Jesus on display. And hopefully something of what we have in Christ can activate something inside of our hearts that we leave from today and we pursue Christ above everything else. I, 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 if I have to, like my wife says, we walked into this building and I've seen this building go from nothing to what it is now. I've seen this church being planted. I've been able to walk a road very close with this couple to be able to see what God's doing with them. And I don't want to sit here and, 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 and confess things and say, this is the future you have with Christ and that you have because it is bright. Your future as a church is bright. And neglect the fact that we, as every single one of us in seats, have a responsibility to work this out. We have a part to play. It's not dependent on this couple. Yes, God called them and said, please can you plant this church and He's put this team together and uh, it's a bunch of misfits all put together to see this lampstand being planted. But now the future is bright. I can't stop sitting and, 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 and just dreaming with Mark and, and Carol about how great your future could be. But it comes down to, are there men and women who don't just want to be religious Christians, but want to work out their salvation with fear and trembling in seeing God do something amazing and great in and through this church? So then we come to the then we come to a scripture in a uh, one Corinthians one verse twenty six to thirty one, and uh, I said all of that uh, the statement that, Je- that that God says to Jesus and it blows me away it's impacted my life but then uh, but then it goes on and it's and, and we read a scripture like this that just sobers us up in a big way and it says this it says 
For consider your calling, brothers. Consider your Christianity. Every single one of us, consider the way we work out our Christianity. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. And I say, yes and amen. I am not wise. I am not of noble birth. I am not powerful. I might look like I might have some elements of power. But out of Christ, I am nothing. And then Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, But God. There's this amazing statement, But God. There's some statements in the Bible that I have underlined, that I've circled, that I have, I've wanted to get them tattooed on my body. I've wanted to just display them because there's this thing of no matter who, uh, uh, no matter how much of a, of a, of a, I've tried to think of a better word, but I can't. No matter how much of an idiot I might think I am and I might act like, there's this statement that says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the song, the, the strong. But God chose what is low and uh, despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, uh, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. It's almost like the statement is, but God. He takes a man, and you can use him if he's available. He loves Jesus and there's a transaction he wants to do in every single one of us that have a revelation of who he is. And because of that revelation, we're able to work out a Christianity. It's got nothing to do with who we could be and who we are and, and how amazing we are. And Paul was probably one of the greatest people who could actually say, because I was shipwrecked, because I was almost uh, uh, stoned to death, because I was almost uh, crucified, because I was almost all these things. And look at all the churches planted therefore you should follow me and I, I should be amazing and he's even saying because of nothing that I could do it's all because of Jesus inside of me and how he uses me and church I, I don't know about you but that's the place I want to get to that's the place where I am constantly crying out to God, saying, God, I do not want to follow you based on rules and regulations like a slave would and just do the bare minimum to get a, a little bit of, of, of approval from you. I want to operate like a son or like a daughter who has everything. And because of you, because of who I am in you, Christ, I have it all. I say this on, a, on every single time I get an opportunity to preach. And my wife is here so she can testify to it. Because I don't know if I've said it to her before. But uh, we speak about a move of the Spirit. We speak about signs, wonders and miracles. We speak about the Holy Spirit impacting people. And seeing cancers fall off. And legs that are broken being healed. I love that. I want to see God do that. But what I'm crying out for in a daily basis is for me to have a revelation of Christ. By the Holy Spirit. That it changes Craig... That I can love my wife like Christ loves the church. So I can lead my kids the way. So I can live out my Christianity. So I am not just a noisy gong to people around me. That I am a, a, a man who can, can, is not governed by my own abilities and my own strengths and my own weaknesses, but is governed by God. The decisions I make are not, uh, are not just by my emotions or what I feel. It's by what does the Word of God say? What is God saying to me? If you read 1 Corinthians 13, it carries on saying that it describes this life we have in Christ. It's, it, it, it's like 
in the old days when, when Paul was writing that, you didn't have mirrors like we have now. So they would take a, a, a piece of metal and they would shine this piece of metal as much as they could. And the more they would shine this piece of metal, they would see a reflection. And Paul's saying that's how we must treat our Christianity, is we must look at what God is saying to us, what God is doing. And as we shine it more, as we discover and we explore this love of God more and more and more, we start seeing His image clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And then as we think we get there we start shining it more and we work at our christianity we try help each other we, we we live by the spirit we do everything that christians are supposed to do in christ and we start seeing jesus more and more and more and more i love that picture i hope i haven't lost you <coughs> so that who's that who is that that is who christ it what Christ has done on the cross, who He is, what we have. It's almost like what's on offer if we call ourselves Christians. But then there's this, there's this aspect of Christianity. Uh, when, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you have heard about the, the parts of salvation, but there's this justification we get when we give our hearts to the Lord and that whole thing of, of, of you're my son with whom I love and with you I'm well pleased. That happens when we give our hearts to the Lord and we are justified for our sins. It's, Jesus says, you're no longer, you're not going to pay the penalty for sin. I have taken it on the cross. You're justified. But then, uh, we're going to, then when we die and we go to heaven, we'll be glorified. And I don't know what that looks like, but I just read scriptures about what heaven might look like. And I'm saying, God, I can't wait to be glorified with you. In your glory, exposed to how great you are. It's just this amazing moment. But, between justification and, uh, and, and glorification, there's this process that we have to go through, and that's called sanctification. As we, got, we need to become more sanctified. We need to become more like Christ. And that's what I want to speak into right now, because I feel, if I look at my life and I look at, at my city, and I think it's very similar here, is we, we understand justification. We understand that we are Christians. We have a, 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 a mind, a, a mind frame, a frame of mind of what it means to be a Christian. Maybe some of what I've shared has shifted and adjusted that. But, but God wants us to move along from justification to working out our salvation so we can establish His kingdom on earth. And we all have a responsibility in that. It's not just the guys who plant churches. It's not just the people who get paid to do it by church. It's not good enough just to say, well, I'm not paid to do that. I don't have to do it. No, sir, ma'am, when you're a Christian, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, you're still going to go to heaven. I forget where the scripture is. But there's an inheritance that God wants us to see. There's a establishing His kingdom on earth. That God wants to see. And the more we work at our salvation, the more we understand who we are in Christ and what He wants to do in and through us, we start seeing His kingdom established. And uh, one of the, Michael Eaton, who's a, a theologian, he says it's this internal inheritance of seeing God's kingdom being established in our lives. And I'm saying, I want that. I want this internal inheritance. So uh, that's where the, where the, where the, uh, uh, it's the, the name of the, of the preach Christ likeness comes from is really, I wanted to point to Christ and show us who we are in Christ, but then from there, not just leave us there, to take us to a place where actually we can work this out. Actually we can, we can change who we are to become more like Christ on a daily basis. Okay, let's go to Galatians 5. 
Galatians uh, is a very similar book to Romans. I love both of them. It's a very, it's a very practical book. And it's a, it's, it's a book where Paul is writing to a, 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 a region. And he's just trying to help this region understand what it means uh, to work out your salvation. To, to work out your Christianity. To become more sanctified. And for me, I, uh, I'm trying to do that. I live in a, in a very diverse city. And I, I'm wanting not to do things because of religious sake and not do things because of cultural sake. I want to do things because of biblical sake. I want to hold on to things that are biblical, not good ideas. Because church trends and good ideas will, will come and go. But what is true and what is godly and what is righteous will remain. And I want to give my life to that. Uh, as much as I love Jesus and I love uh, His church, sometimes the church misrepresents Christ. And I've been on a, we've been on a journey with our churches to try and base our church on things that are biblical, not things that are just religious. Or just, cause we, and someone asks, why do you, why do you break bread? Or just, we've been doing it from the beginning, we carry on, we don't question why we do it. No, it's a biblical truth. If you search the scripture, you see it in there. And uh, I want I want that for my life. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't want to just do things for the sake of doing them. Uh, I want to do them because it's biblical. So Galatians 5, uh, we're going to go from verse 16. And uh, I'm just going to uh, read the scriptures and, and make some points as we go along. And uh, really Paul, the setting is Paul. Uh, if, you've, if you've read Galatians before, if not, maybe I can uh, spark something inside of you. You can go read it. But uh, Galatians is split up into three passages, uh, three sort of major themes. And uh, if, you, if you put your finger in Galatians 5, but then you turn to Galatians 1, uh, you can see this. And, it's, and, it, and Paul starts off, he says, Paul, an apostle from, uh, not from man nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God our Father who raised him from the dead. There's a there's a, a, a understanding. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand is that our authority does not come from anything else other than who we are in Christ. His authority to this church is not because he's a, a prophet or an apostle. The, the authority I have to speak here is not because of anything else other than who I am in Christ. And Mark invited me. That's it. Our authority to work out our Christianity is not based on how good we are, how religious we are. It's based on who we are in Christ. And uh, that's what Paul spends the, the first, uh, I think it's three, uh, the first two chapters just understanding is this authority we have in Christ. And then if you look at verse 3, it says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. You see it mentioned over, you see it in Ephesians. Grace and peace. is There's this understanding that Paul wants us to have is we do not have law. When we encounter Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, we are not slaves to a law. We are sons that are set free from the guilt of law. And because of the grace we have in Christ, and because the peace He brings us, we're able to work out our Christianity. And He, wants, and he spends uh, the next two chapters helping us understand that. And then uh, the next statement He says is in verse, uh, the end of verse 4. He says, Deliver us from this present evil. And Paul wants the church to understand the, that there's this godliness, there's this godly way, there's this Christ-likeness that he wants to bring upon us, that we can actually live out our Christianity. Who honestly believes that we are in a horrible state in this world? Let's be honest. I, I look at South Africa, and uh, we have huge issues. I, I think politically, we can't 
you know, our, gov- our government's very corrupt. We can't put our faith in our government. Uh, we can't put our faith in our economy. We can't put our, our faith in security. We can't put our faith in a lot of things. And it's just God, I believe, God sifting everything to say, well, the only thing you can put your faith in is Christ. And uh, I, I see that happening around the world. I'm not yet to push a political agenda or anything. I'm yet to push a Jesus agenda. And I'm saying the church must start waking up. Believers need to start waking up to the fact that the world is falling apart. And we don't just stick our heads in the sand and be like, oh, well, we're just going to die with it. No, God, A.W. Tozer says, a, a, a world at its worst needs the church as its best. That when the world is falling apart, God is putting, He's breathing life into us that we can exist and we can represent godliness that's not dependent on an economy or political system of this president or that president, but on who Jesus is to us. Individuals. Uh, and God wants to do that for us and with us. So verse 16, it says this, uh, and the, the topic, the, the, the big thing that Paul's changing, changing gears into now is he's saying, okay, there's a, there's a revelation I have, I want you to have of the Holy Spirit, of, of godliness, of Christianity, where you can work this out, where you can make this a daily thing. And it, and it goes on and says this, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. The very first thing that we see in verse 16 uh, that Paul wants us to understand is that the Christian walk is a walk with the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate the two. Often we like to sell Christianity like that is accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then deluxe Christianity is baptism in the Holy Spirit and then super deluxe uh, extra large Christianity is an infilling of the Holy Spirit. No, if you want to become like Christ... You cannot separate the role of the Holy Spirit making you like Christ. You can't, you can't do that. You can't separate it. It's not something that you can, you can live without. It's, it's not a, it's not an optional extra. It's not like a sunroof in a car. It's something that God wants to do in us. It's a revelation He wants to, that He wants us to have so we can become like, more like Christ. And it goes on and it says this. It says, uh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirits are against the flesh. For those uh, were opposed, uh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul's saying it is vital for you to walk by the spirit, walk with the spirit. And then he goes on and he says, Christians will always be in this fight. There's always this opposing force of you want to do the things you you desperately want to do, but you can't because you're in this constant battle. And it's something we need to open our eyes to and understand that uh, that God wants to do a work in us. And by the Spirit, we're able to work out a Christianity. We've got to understand that it's not it's not um, it's not two things that are that are. Or like maybe they're right or maybe they're wrong, the, the, the flesh and the spirit. We understand the flesh is there and the spirit is there. And you are in the middle. When, you, when you're a Christian, this happens. This is not something that I'm coming up out of the, the ether. I'm not just pulling it out of nowhere. This is a reality. Is The flesh is there and the spirit of God is there. And if you're alive in Christ, you have a daily battle to, to walk either by the flesh or the spirit. It's not like you can walk close to the flesh and have a little bit of spirit. These things are total opposites. It's there's the flesh, there's the spirit. You choose. That's what Paul's saying. Is you, I, I want to do the things I want to, but I don't, and I get caught up in this battle. Well, the choice is yours. Are you going to walk by the spirit? Because you can't do it by yourself. 
It's in Christ, who we are in Christ, with a filling of the Spirit, you're able to choose either by the flesh or by the Spirit. You decide. That's the fight you have to, to fight every single day. Welcome to being a Christian. It's not something you can just stick your head in the ground and be like, well, I'm not going to make a choice. Well, guess what you just chose? The flesh. You've just made that by default. You've just made that decision. It's, it's every decision we make, the way I love my wife, the way I love my kids, the way I, the decisions I make in my life, the decisions, the, the things I choose to look at, the things I choose to, to, uh, to consume my life with, I'm constantly making the decision, am I choosing to live by the flesh or am I choosing to live by the Spirit? Then it goes on in verse 18 and it says this, it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Is Paul is trying to help the church. It's trying to help us understand that if you are led by the Spirit, there's no guilt attached to following the the um, um, the Spirit. It's not a it's not a a, 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 a slave driven thing. It's not like you have to do that. No, you choose to do that because you're free from the law. You see, the Israelites were 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 and uh, were, were led by law. It was if you don't do this, the consequences are this. And God is saying, well, if you want to live by the Spirit, if you want to be led by the Spirit, the choice is your, you, yours. There's no condemnation. There's no because the law dictates. That's why we have to do. No, you choose. And in a world where we are filled by how important our choice is, uh, you have the choice to decide. Every single day. So the question you've got to maybe ask yourself is, which side will win? Well, the answer is the one you decide to heal to. You can either heal to Jesus and who we are in Christ, and then filling of the Holy Spirit that enables us to resist temptation, that enables us to pursue Christ, or you choose to, to enable yourself, your decision, your selfishness, and your self-centeredness, and you pursue this, the, the, the flesh. Uh, the only reason why I can say that is because I presented that in the beginning of what, Christi- what, what stops us from living a Christ-like life and no one got up and you know, wanted to smack me or be offended by me. You all yes still. So uh, that's, I'm just drawing on the conclusion of what I've said is either we pursue Christ and we get the enabling of the Holy Spirit to do that or we enable ourselves with our self-centeredness and our, and, our, and our selfish decisions and we pursue our flesh because at the end of the day that's what it is. If I choose to not love my wife and love another woman, I'm basing everything on my selfish desires and my selfish decisions, and I choose to do that. And the result of that is me following my flesh. Again, the silence is maybe just this revelation of... uh, so then it goes on and it says this. It says, so there's this answer of, of you, you choose. Whatever you yield to is what results in this. But then uh, Paul says this. He says uh, in verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all these things alike. Is... The enemy wants to get us into a place where sometimes we might not know what you might you might get caught up in the place where you're like I don't I don't know what's flesh and uh, what's uh, what's kingdom or, or what's what's being led by the spirit or led by my flesh and, and Paul sp- sp- spells it out there he didn't hold back there it's not like oh it might just be you know doing something naughty you know it might just be uh, not doing that it, it it is clear as day there it's these are the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are obvious. It's almost like Paul 
and I'm going to say this to Mark because he's not going to get offended. It's almost like Paul grabs this church by the ears and says, stop being stupid. You think, you, you, you might not understand. He's saying, it is obvious. These things are in your life. The Holy, when we love Christ and we're in Christ, there's a witness of the Holy Spirit inside of us that when we do those things, it is obvious to everyone around us and obvious to ourselves. And it's like, stupid? Understand, it is obvious. Uh, I know it doesn't say stupid in the Bible, but it's almost like Paul dumbs it down so much, so it's not like you can't misunderstand what he's saying here. It is clear as day. It's these things are obvious. But then it goes on in the end of verse 21, it says this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is, I knew it was in my notes. Is that there's this, there's this warning that Paul gives to say, if you give yourself to these things, if you, if you give yourself to the obvious works of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God in your life. What does that mean? It means following the promptings of the flesh will block the flow of the kingdom of God in our lives. Following the promptings of the flesh will block the flow of the kingdom of God in our lives. I'm not speaking to unbelievers here. I'm speaking to men and women who might call themselves Christians or might have some understanding of Christianity. And Paul's not saying you'll lose your salvation. He's saying you're justified. You are justified in the finished work of the cross. But he's saying if you carry on choosing the flesh above what God's got for us, choosing our, our comfortable lives, choosing everything that, that is pointing towards the flesh, that is obvious towards the flesh, he's saying you're just going to stop and block what God wants to do in your life. And as Christians, we need to take notes and say, I so badly want to do this in Christ. I so badly want to uh, do this and see this. And God's saying, well, deal with your heart. Is there unforgiveness? Is there sin that you're hiding? Is there, is there things that are in your life that are obviously stopping the flow of His kingdom being established in our life? Deal with those things. Then we go to verse 22. And uh, it says this. It says, but, but, but God, in Corinthians earlier on, but, there's these amazing buts in scripture. It says, but, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Jesus, Paul, helps us understand here. That the result of obeying the Holy Spirit is fruitfulness. The result of living a godly life is fruitfulness. It's not a, it's not an option. It's not maybe. It is fruitfulness. It's not something that you might have to weigh up and decide and I'm not too sure. Maybe. No, it is fruitfulness. Paul is clear that the result of doing this. God is saying the result of living out your Christianity in Christ Jesus with the filling of the Holy Spirit is you will see the fruit. And I don't know about you, but uh, I want to see that fruit. You see, the works of the flesh are easy. You can do them immediately. It's something that I can go do. I can choose right now to make a decision to go uh, get smash drunk and I will be drunk but the thing with, with, with the fruits of the spirit is it's about consistency it's about uh, 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 
carrying on over and over and over. I love the picture when Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy, and he's speaking about remaining faithful to what God's called us to do. He uses the picture of a farmer. He's trying to say to Timothy, my boy, it's not an easy thing. This is not a just plant the seed now and reap the fruit tomorrow. It's a constant decision of pursuing the Spirit and you will reap the harvest. Yes, it might not be today, but as you start planting those, that, that, that seed of making God your choices, of pursuing the Spirit, of trying to work with, walk with the Spirit, you will, you will reap the harvest. It will come. The fruit will come. Uh, you plant an apple, an apple seed for an apple tree. The apple tree grows. Does it instantly produce fruit? My, uh, my wife was, was telling Kara, and uh, she told me this before, that a, a mango tree takes 10 years to produce mangoes, apparently. Is that a, that's a, long, that's a, long, a long-term vision there, to plant a seed and trust for fruit. And that God wants us to get to that place where we are planting seed for His kingdom, for His righteousness, to not stop His kingdom from, from, uh, from being established in our life. And we will reap the fruit. That 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 apple tree, that mango tree, doesn't have to doesn't have to strive to be a mac- an am- um, mango tree, a mango tree or an apple tree. You don't you don't hear an apple tree going. Please, can I just be an apple? Just please produce apple fruit. I hope it's apple. I hope it's not bananas. Last season was bananas. This season maybe an apple. No, it just naturally happens when we naturally follow Christ. The fruit will follow. The the the, the thing to note about the fruit. What is the first fruit that is mentioned? Is love. The first thing that Paul mentions is love. The, the, in 1 Corinthians 13, the only thing that will remain is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Uh, Paul's trying to help the Corinthian church understand that you can get caught up in religious acts, you can get caught up in everything, but the only thing, even faith in Christ is going to pass away. Hope in, his, in, in inheriting His kingdom is going to pass away. When you're in heaven, the only thing that remains is a love for God. That is it. Love is the only thing that we need to get caught up in. We need to get caught up in a love for Christ and who we are in Christ. And we need to get caught up in a love for how we can demonstrate this to everyone around us. It is fruit. It is byproduct. You know Jesus, you'll make Him known. You plant godly fruit, you'll reap godly... uh, You plant godly seed, you'll reap godly fruit. You love Christ, you will love everyone around you. It is just... It happens like that. And through love... God wants to demonstrate His kingdom. Love brings joy. Love expressed is peace. An unkind heart, or a, 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 a heart that does not understand God's love, cannot produce kindness. Good, a goodness is understanding the love of Christ and therefore representing that love. Faithfulness is understanding who we are in Christ. I can only be faithful to my wife because I know she loves me and I love her. And with the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we're able to work this thing out. Without that love, it's just a transaction. But there's this, there's this and you can go through the whole list of, of uh, look at self-control. If you don't have self-control, it's because you're giving your love to something else. You, you, you're letting go the love that you have for Christ for something else to try and satisfy your desires. And he's saying, I can't hold on to the love of Christ. It's not strong enough. No, it is, ma'am, sir. It is strong enough. Pursue it and you'll be able to stay true to what God's got for us. Yeah. Nothing helps us 
get to grips with, with life and anything else than, than a love for Christ. That gives us, that binds us together, that holds us together. And then uh, at the end it says that, in the end of that passage, it's, uh, that little portion, it says, against such things there is no law. Is this kind of lifestyle supersedes religiousness. This kind of lifestyle, understanding who we are in Christ, being impacted by His love with an infilling of the Holy Spirit, and, and living out our Christianity, this goes way beyond any law or any religious or any church understanding that living our lives like this gives no room for anyone to be offended with who we are because we've given up and we've surrendered who we are for Christ. And it says against such things there's no law. No one can turn around and say it's because of you that I'm offended with Christ or I can't see Christ. No, we only see the love of Christ. Am I, am I there? No. Are you there? Definitely not. But Together we're trying to get there. Together we're holding the perfect up and saying, that's what I want to get hold of. That's what I want to represent in this city, in this town. That's what I want. I don't want to settle for second best. I don't want to settle for works of the Spirit. I mean, works of the flesh. I want the works of the Spirit. Then in verse 5 it says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Is There's an understanding of the principle that we in Christ have been able to have been able to crucify these passions and these desires. We belong to Christ. It's it's understanding who we are in God. It's it's the approval, it's the love, it's the it's the everything that we get when we call ourselves Christians, when we understand Christ. It's that we get that all. Uh, he he's, he's he's satisfied everything. We don't have to search for anything else. Then in verse 25 it says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us, not, let us, keep, let us also keep in, in step with the Spirit. Is, uh, Paul's giving us one understanding there. Uh, if we want to live the spiritual life, we have to carry on keeping in step with the Spirit. And if you drop down to uh, verse 26, I love what it says here. Uh, let us not become conceited, um, Competing against one another, uh, envying one another. Uh, my friends, if anyone is trapped in some sin, I'm reading a different translation, uh, you who have received the Spirit should restore each, uh, should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Is in the end of this whole passage in, 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 uh, Corinthians 6 verse 1 there's a call to the church there's a call to these believers that if you have inherited everything if you call yourself a Christian if you're on a road to pursue Jesus above everything with the filling of the Holy Spirit you're choosing to, to, to be led by the Spirit and not your flesh there's a transaction that needs to take, in your, take place in your heart that affects everyone around us it's not about me and my decisions and how I do it no it's about me Pursuing Christ and helping a brother. And helping one another. That's why church is so vital. It's not something we just do and we come on Sunday and we act like it's okay and then we leave. No, it's, it's remaining in community with believers. It's surrounding yourself with, with, with men and women who love Jesus and are pursuing Jesus above everything. It's choosing to make the right decisions. It's choosing to say, I'm not going to hang out with those friends because I need men and women on the same path as me, pursuing Jesus, pursuing His Spirit above everything. That's why church is important. 
It's not just about a Sunday meeting. It's about everything that is on offer to actually say no to, um, to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. I want to end with this scripture and uh, it's the most, one of the most powerful scriptures I've had in, uh, in, that, that, I can, that I read in the Bible and it's this. Now Paul writes this, uh, like I said, he writes Galatians and he writes Romans uh, in a very similar way and uh, at the end of Romans he says, he says this, Romans uh, 13 verse 14, it says, he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul is so strategic and so deliberate in that language. He is almost offering, he's offering this church, this group of believers in Rome, in, in Rome and he's saying, here it is. Sons and daughters, you have a choice. I've described what a godly life looks like. The same in Galatians. I've described Christianity. I've pointed you to Christ. But you have the choice. It says, put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for its flesh and the fleshy desires. It is like going to a closet in the morning and you have different cloaks that you could wear. It's you choose. Do I want a red one or a black one or a blue one or whatever one? You have the decision every single day to say, am I going to pursue Christ? Or am I going to pursue ungodliness? I can't make the decision. I can preach as much as I want. I can grab you. I can shake you. I can smack you. I can say please. I can beg. I can do everything. But at the end of the day, it is individuals, men and women, making a decision to pursue Jesus above everything. Now that decision is a once-off decision. When we are justified for our sin. But then it is a daily decision. Every single day. Every single moment. Do you choose to put on Jesus Christ. And pursue his spirit above everything else. Or do you choose to put on. Your flesh and your selfish and your self-centered desires. The choice is yours. And I've not come here to condemn you. I've not come here to, 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 to shout and scream at you. I've come here to say please. Above everything pursue Christ. Is your future and the inheritance that you have, that God wants to use you as a, as a group of believers, is amazing. There is such a prophetic future over this church. But it comes down to men and women, every single day, choosing to represent Christ. So He can use you to establish His kingdom in Erie, Colorado, and in every other little, little town around here. Or we can just choose to carry on pursuing the flesh. And actually will just limit what God wants to do in and through this church. Because guess what? Every single one of us are connected. You might think, I don't lead this, I don't preach, I don't do this. No ma'am, sir, you represent this church. I, I, you represent Christ and you represent this church. I love, I, uh, I met Chris on uh, Tuesday night and he said to me, he goes to CrossFit. So he said, I, I go to CrossFit back home and he said, okay, let's go together. And uh, suddenly the South African rocked up at their class. And they're like, what are you here for? And I said, no, I work at a church and I, I, I'm at this church, Impact Rock. And the, what the lady had to say was she said, I've only heard good things about that church. I've only heard good things about that church. You guys have a good reputation in the community. But God wants to change that. Myself and my wife uh, were just chatting and, and just speaking about what we felt God was saying and doing. And... Uh, I say this with all the respect in my, life, in my heart, but I feel like right now you guys have been an impact stone and you've made, you've made a difference, but it's very little. 
And God wants to start doing a work inside of every single one of you, every single one of us, that we can start making that impact that this rock wants to bring. That it's not us, it's not our works, it's not us doing it. It's, it's the picture in Daniel where there was the kingdoms of God, uh, the kingdoms of the world that were, were, were this massive tower. It was, it was all these different uh, precious stones that represent the kingdoms, but it was the rock that was cut out of the mountain. It was Jesus the offense that it came and smashed down every single one of those kingdoms is God wants to do a work inside of us. Every single one of us, Mark included, the eldership included, every single one of us that we can represent Christ. And Christ is enough for us to take hold of what He's got for us.